Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for, for just this opportunity once again to gather and to worship you together. And we pray, Lord, to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Help us to be sensitive to your presence because we know you're here, Lord. But help us to be sensitive to the fact that you are here. And we pray that you would move in a mighty way tonight. And whether it's convicting us through your word, correcting us instructing us in the way of righteousness, which is your way, whatever it may be, Father, healing us, restoring us, equipping us. Lord, we pray that you would have your way. Do your work, Lord. Be glorified on this night. And I do pray personally for the gift of teaching, that you fill me afresh with your spirit, and that the people will hear your words and not my opinions. And so, Lord, we just take your word seriously around here. We love you, Lord, and thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, once again, we are in 2 Samuel. And on Wednesday nights, uh, this is the book that we are going through. And we are in chapter 12. And we're going to park in verses... 1 through 15. So, of course, we're going to read those. We're going to meditate on those. Going to ask for understanding and fresh insight on those verses and and see what the Lord reveals to us. Uh, But as usual, we do have a title for the message or lesson, whichever you prefer to call it. But uh, the title is Blind Spots. Blind Spots. So, obviously, just based on the title... And many of you are familiar with these verses. You, you probably already understand that we'll be presented, of course, with another challenge, another spiritual challenge in our lives. And this challenge, of course, um, if we take it up and, and if we move forward with it and allow the Holy Spirit to empower us and guide us in this, uh, it, it's going to help us on our journey to reach our full potential in Christ, which, of course, is our theme for uh, the lessons we're going through in 2 Samuel. And so with that being said, we want to look at the first verse in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The word of God says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. So Nathan is a prophet. He sent them to King David. And he came to him and said to David, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks or sheep. He also had herds or cattle. But in verse 3, it says the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb or female lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And this ewe lamb grew up together with this poor man and with his children 
And this ewe lamb, it, it ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and it lay in his bosom. So he took up uh, this female lamb in his arms and it was like a daughter to him. And so the picture is being painted of this close relationship this poor man had with this female lamb. And in verse 4, a traveler came to the rich man. So now we get into this other character here in this parable. And this rich man refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. And so the wayfaring man, of course, is a traveler. And so this man... This rich man, instead of taking from his flock, which he had many, many sheep, he didn't take from there, but he he took this poor man's only lamb, killed it, of course, dressed it all up, seasoned it and everything, and fed it to his guests. And so now, based on what's going on here, what we can infer, what we can gather from this information is that Obviously, David had not confessed or repented of his sin, although months have passed and although it was almost time for Bathsheba to give birth, because if he had, then Nathan would not have to be sent to him by the Lord. And so we see the purpose of this. Those of us who've who've read and we studied the previous chapter, chapter 11, and, and, and we read about David's sin with Bathsheba, who was another man's wife. And that man, of course, was Uriah, one of the people in his army. It also tells us in the previous chapter that Uriah was was killed, was murdered by David. And so, of course, David murdered him indirectly because he had him set up. And so you have the sin of adultery. Before that, of course, you had the sin of coveting. He was desiring someone that wasn't his, someone else's wife. And then, of course, you had the sin of murder going on. So obviously, once again, he had not repented or else Nathan would not have to be sent on this mission to him. And so the purpose of this message, of course, was to shake David up a little bit. This great king of Israel. And so in verse 5, David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. He became furious against this rich man in this parable. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore or pay back fourfold for the lamb. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity or you can say compassion. And so it's obvious here that David didn't know that this story that the prophet Nathan was sharing was a parable. It was a story that was illustrating a moral or spiritual lesson. Again, David didn't understand that. He thought it was a real situation that was going on. And based on this information, by the way, David was was actually right to be angry. This was righteous indignation. He, He had a right to be angry at the unselfishness of this rich man. And what's funny is that what what David said the man should repay was actually 
according to the law. So uh, although uh, David was in a state of unrepentance, he didn't confess or repent for his sin at this point. He, he still remembered the word of God because Exodus chapter 22 verse 1 says that if a man steals an ox or a sheep, and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. And remember what David said. Well, first of all, this, this man shall surely die. But second of all, he shall restore fourfold. He shall restore, in other words, four lambs for this guy's one. And so he was applying the law. And so what this shows is that David's moral compass, his compass or Uh, His conscience, in other words, was still working. It was still working. He still knew right from wrong. It was still working. It wasn't totally dead, maybe towards himself, but but not to other uh, people's sins, not to other situations that was going on, which he thought was a real situation. So his moral compass was still alive at that point. His conscience was working. And, And for us, for for the people with whom we share the gospel with, and they are smug in their lifestyle, they're, they're smug in their sin. Another, another way of saying that is that they're comfortable in their sinful ways and lifestyle. I would say this, that yes, it would be appropriate to use the law. It will be appropriate to go through the Ten Commandments and, and ask them, have you done this or have you followed this uh, perfectly and so forth, just to show them that, that you're not perfect, that yes, you are a sinner, to, to sort of awaken their conscience or to see if their moral compass is, is still working. And, and, every, and God has given to everyone a moral compass or a conscience. And he's did, he did that because he's a moral law giver. And so the Ten Commandments is, shows you the moral law. Of course, the moral law is still good for today. It was a sin back then to steal, and it's a sin now to steal. It was a sin back then to commit adultery, and it's still a sin right now. And so, yes, this moral law is good. So, so at, some, at points, it's appropriate to use the law to sort of awaken people's conscience to sin. And then also, as the Spirit leads, just like Nathan did here, as the Spirit leads, I want to emphasize it's okay to use illustrations in, in order to get people to admit that there is a such thing as sin. And also, of course, not just to admit that there's such uh, a thing as sin, but, but also to help them to get closer to confessing that they themselves are sinners. Why? Because you want to show how perfect you are. You want to show that you are sinless compared to that person because we should look down on them? No, that's not the purpose, but, but, but the purpose of using the law and perhaps illustrations as the Holy Spirit uses or guides us is to, of course, awaken their conscience and help them to see that they're sinners. And I'll finish the statement for the purpose of reconciliation. For the purpose to be reconciled to God. You see, God did his part of reconciliation. First of all, the scriptures tells us that 
that all have sin and we fall short of the glory of God. It tells us that our sin have separated us from God. Speaking of mankind, but, but Jesus Christ who came and he died on our behalf. He died on account of sin. He paid the penalty for our sin. He, he, he serves as that bridge. He bridges the gap between us and the Father. And so be, because of what Jesus did, because he paid the price with his blood, the Father has turned his face to us with his arms outstretched towards us, mankind. And so, uh, so God's part of reconciliation is accomplished. But, but what's left to do is for man to, to turn around, to stop showing God the back of his head and, and to turn around to repent. Make that 180 and put our trust in him. And so we do this to awaken people's conscience. Doing this meaning revealing sin, revealing that that they're sinners through the sharing of the law and these illustrations because we want them to be reconciled to God. And, And that, by the way, is not a job that we're taking upon ourselves. We're not taking it upon ourselves without permission because the scriptures tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 18 through 20, it says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Not imputing their, their sins to them, but and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's a responsibility that God has given to us. And so when we talk about reconciliation, we're talking about restoring people to a friendship or to a to a uh, a relationship of harmony to the lord or a restoration to the divine favor and so we all need that 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 restoration to friendship to harmony in other words with god we're we're at odds with him by nature without christ we are odds with god And so God, Father in Christ, through Christ, did his work, raised him from the dead, from the grave. Now he's at the right hand of the Father. He's making making, uh, prayers for us is one way to say it. He represents us before the Father in his high priestly role. Some people would like to see Jesus' role as almost a lawyer on our behalf. It's at the right hand of the Father right now. And so this ministry of reconciliation, of helping people to get, in, get back into a friendly relationship with God, we have been given that. We have been given this opportunity. We have been given this responsibility And so, of course, if folks are going to be reconciled, they need to know the sin problem. They need to know that that we're sinners. They need to know that 
that Jesus made a way, that Jesus paid the price, and that, that, that they, need, they need to repent and put their faith in Christ. They need to know that. If that reconciliation process is going to be complete. And so what a privilege it is for us to, to be his ambassadors. What a privilege it is for us to be, another way of saying that, is to be his representatives on earth. Because the Bible says that we're citizens of heaven. So we belong to the kingdom of God and, and we are his representatives on earth. And we are pleading. We're pleading with people as though God were pleading through us. We implore you. It says on Christ's behalf, hey, be reconciled to God. And so, and so what a great privilege we have. And again, it's not to look down on people or, or to be boastful or proud, but, but we should want to see people enter into a friendly relationship with the Lord so that they'll know that when this life is over on this side of eternity, so that they'll know where they're going to spend eternity. But then in verse 7, it says that Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. You see, Nathan revealed to David that, that he is the man in the parable that he just shared. You are the rich man. No, he didn't say, David, you are the man like people use today. It's supposed to be a compliment. You the man. No, not like that. No, you are the sinful man in this parable. That's how he was using it. And God was so wise to use this approach so that David could see how offensive his actions were to God. And, and we must also take note of this boldness that Nathan has shown um, in this chapter. Because it took a lot of boldness for him to share this message of rebuke with the king. It takes boldness to share a message of rebuke to anyone or with anyone. But, but he's sharing this with the king, this sweet psalmist of Israel. This man after God's own heart. That this man who, who slew Goliath, this giant. There's this guy who was so victorious in, in many battles. But he shared it with him. Check out the boldness. Think about that, how bold Nathan was. You see, but as God's messenger, it was, it was only right to, to speak what God wanted him to speak, to also do what God wanted him to do. And I say take note of this because there may come a time in which you will be responsible for sharing a message of rebuke or, in other words, pointing out a sin in a brother or sister in Christ's life. Why? For, for the purpose of correction. Because you want their fellowship with God to be restored. But, but when we do that, if we're given that task to do, like Nathan was given that task to do, there is a certain attitude that we must have. We, we have to do it with an attitude or a heart of love. Just like Nathan did. But, but secondly, well, if we 
call ourselves sharing a message of rebuke or pointing out some error or sin in another brother or sister's life. We also need to make sure that that message is from God and that that message is not your preference and that that message is not your opinion. Because there's some gray areas in the Bible that's the Bible doesn't say or sin or not. Doesn't say if it's sin or not sin. Yeah, the Bible doesn't talk about, oh, you should have pews or chairs in the church. You know, the Bible doesn't talk about that. Oh, you, you know, you should have a tent and not a building. You should have a dirt parking lot only and not asphalt. You know, the, the Bible doesn't talk about, so there's some gray areas. You know, some areas of flexibility. The Bible doesn't say that you must have a choir. You must have at least 20 people on stage leading worship through song. Doesn't say that. And so there's some gray areas. So, so make sure that the message, if, if you're going to rebuke, is from God. And not your opinion. And the Bible does touch on gray areas, by the way. But the example the Bible used in talking about gray areas is whether to eat meat or not. Those are some examples. It touches on that and how to deal with that. And so, once again, make sure you do it in love and make sure the message is from God. And no, and no it won't be an easy thing to do if God calls you to do that. And God may call you to do call you to do something like that, if, especially if you're close to a certain brother or sister in Christ and, and, and you kind of see some things and and you already know, oh God is gonna want me to address this, how to go about it. You already know. You know what's from the Lord. Because when you try to ignore it, sometimes you can't even sleep. And then when you try to ignore it and do something fun, the Lord will bring it up to you. You need to address that. I, I, I love that brother or sister in Christ. That, that's my child. I need you to share this with them because they're harming themselves and doing that and being in that relationship. You need to share so-and-so with them. But do it in love and make sure God has given you that message. Verse 8, I gave you your master's house, and this is Nathan. He's speaking what the Lord told him to say. After, once again, he revealed that David is that rich man that, that David was so hard on. He said, David, you're like that rich man. You have everything like that rich man had. You, you, I gave you your master's house, speaking of Saul, the previous king of Israel. I gave you your master's wives into your keeping or care. And, and so they, they perhaps served as servants. So I gave you them. I, I gave you... The, the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. And so God had blessed David abundantly is what we get from these scriptures. And, and so what's being shown here is that there was absolutely no reason for David to be greedy and covet someone else's wife. And although God had already blessed him abundantly, God stated this 
And this is so awesome. God stated the following in, in verse 8, at the end of verse 8. He said, and if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. What a statement of grace and love there. And for us, as we listen to this, we, we always want to ask the Lord, what is, what is there for me? What spiritual nugget can I get from that? What can I glean from this? And, and what I glean from this is that for us, that there's also no reason to covet or to lust after other people's property or other people's spouse. What I get from this, in fact, is that God would give us our own blessings. And when what's cool is that in James chapter 4, God tells us why we lack some things. He, he says here in James 4, 2, he says, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. And it says, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And if you want to continue on with that, which it won't be on the slide there, but it says, but then you ask, but you ask amiss. You, you ask with the wrong motive so that you can consume it upon your own lust. But, but getting back to that main point that if there's something you, you, you feel that you're lacking, ask the Lord. The Lord loves you. He knows what you need. He, he's a... Loving Heavenly Father. God will give you your own blessings. No need to covet. In verse 9, why have you despised? Nathan, this man of God, this prophet continues. Why have you despised? Why have you ignored the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife Bathsheba to be your wife. And you've killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house or family because you have despised or you did not respect me. And you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Verse 11, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house or family. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun or he shall do it publicly for you did it secretly but I would do this thing before all Israel before the sun so although David's sin was hidden from the view of many God saw it God sees all and God was going to deal with David openly even though he sinned in a secret way So yes, this man after God's own heart was going to be chastised by the Lord. And as we continue in our studies, we're going to see the consequences of his sin. We're going to see that in his children's lives. Because in his children's lives, we're going to see things like rape and and murder and rebellion. We're going to see these things. And so, so what Nathan is sharing with him, those things are going to be fulfilled. But it's a part of this chastisement that's coming against this man after God's own heart. And so this shows us that God is not a respecter of persons. He he, he doesn't, not going to show favoritism. Oh, that's sin for you, but for King David. 
Or for that guy in that high position at your job, it, oh, it's not, that's not sin. It's cool for them to do it. No, no God is not a respecter of persons. And in verse 13, so David said to Nathan, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because of this deed, because of what you have done, you have given great occasion. You have given great opportunity to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who was born to you shall surely die. And then Nathan departed to his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and it became ill. And hopefully all of us understand how serious sin is. And I know most of you, so we, you know that. I don't have to keep saying this over and over again. But, but we see how serious sin is. It's serious because it goes against the nature of God. Because God is... Holy. God is righteous. And getting back to that word holy, when you talk about the holiness of God, it talks about God, how, how there, there's no other like him. He's separate. He's not like man. He's separate. He's on a whole different level, but, but it also talks about his purity. And so being a holy and a righteous God, being a just God, the sin issue must be dealt with. Sin is serious. It's not a game. The closer I get to God, and yes, I understand we're, we're saved by grace through faith. And I know where I'm going when this life on this side of eternity is, going, is over. So I know where I'm going. I'm confident in that because of the promise in the word of God. For those who repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. So I know that, but, but yet and still in, in my walk, the, the closer I get to him, the more ugly my sin looks. And, and I can imagine that's happening to many of you as well. That's because you're taking on more and more of the character and heart of God. There are some attributes of God, I must say this, there are some attributes of God that he cannot share. There's some stuff that, that he can't share with us. You know, for example, he, cannot, he, he can't share the fact that he's omnipresent. You know, there are some things he can't share with us, but, but he can share holiness. He can help us to be more holy in our walk. How do you know, Pastor Darrell? How do you know that that's an attribute he's willing to share? Well, there's a scripture that says, be holy as I'm holy. You see, we are holy in position, first of all, in Christ. Because he sees us through the lens of Christ. Sees us through his blood, but, but in our walk, in practice. In practice, in our lifestyle. We're on a journey to, to become more holy, to become uh, more set apart from sin in the, in the way we live. And of course, that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the sanctification process.
And so because God is holy, getting back to the Lord, we know it's serious. But in these scriptures we just read here in verses 13, 13 through 15, we, we, we see another reason that sin is so dangerous, that sin in the believer's life is so dangerous. And I know many of you Bible scholars, you can figure this one out. So not only does it harm us, but, but what does sin in the believer's life do? Well, it says here in verse 14 that, that it gives a great opportunity to the enemy of the Lord to blaspheme. And so when we claim to be a believer, when we claim to be a born-again Christian and we're, we're living lifestyles of sin to, to where people can't tell us from the world, it gives the enemies of the Lord, people who can't stand the Lord in the first place, gives them an opportunity to blaspheme or to insult our God. What good is your God if, if he can't really change your life? What good is your God if you look just like me and what I approve and, and what I do and the way I talk? Dangerous. See, David, if you will, if I could use the title right now, David had blind spots. He had blind spots in regard to the sin in his life. And of course, I'm speaking in spiritual terms when I say that he had blind spots in his life. And many of us, by the way, can think of a physical example of blind spots. You know, many of us think about the vehicles that we drive. We, we have these mirrors, rear view mirror, these, these side mirrors, and, and these mirrors, they have blind spots. And so you, you want to look in all of them before you change lanes. And I can almost tell when somebody is not looking over their shoulder before they switch lanes. Because first of all, they don't put the signal on. Second of all, you don't see a head turn. Third of all, you might even see them looking down on their cell phone. And then, of course, you, know, you get caught off and, and whatever. And, and many of you have been in that position, maybe by accident, maybe distracted briefly. Whatever the case is, things happen. And I remember, I remember when, I, when I first took my driving test, I think yeah, I was maybe 17, 18. You know, my wife, well, we were boyfriend, girlfriend at the time, but she got her driver's license before me. And so that was a little embarrassing. So now it was my turn. And, you know, I'm in college now or whatever. And I, you know, I set up the, you know, or actually, no, my cousin took me to take the test. And it was in Pasadena in California. And I remember taking the test and person was in a seat with me or whatever, then, you know, they're watching me and they're jotting down things, kind of making you nervous. And I remember I, I, I stopped at the red light about to make a right turn on the, on the freeway ramp. And that's what they wanted me to do. So I'm following directions. And, and so the light turns green or whatever it did, but I know that, okay, no cars can possibly come and make a left while I'm making my right. And so of course I'm, you know, looking at my mirrors, whatever. And then I, I just make a right. And then, you know, I'm thinking I'm doing well. I'm thinking I'm passing and everything. So I get back and the guy, you know, told me that I 
that I failed. I'm like, why? He told me I did a, some dangerous move that I didn't look over my shoulder. You know, when I got on a freeway ramp, I didn't, I didn't look over my shoulder. So obviously I wasn't happy about that. But obviously I learned a lesson that the, even though, you know, I don't think anybody's there, I have to make sure I turn my head to, to make sure that, that I see whatever my blind spots in the, in the, in my mirrors don't catch. See, but David, spiritually speaking, he had his blind spots. He didn't see the seriousness of his sin that we talked about earlier. The seriousness of his sin of having adultery, committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering her husband, even indirectly. And he would then become aware of his blind spot until he turned his head, if you will, when Nathan pointed it out to him. When Nathan pointed out to him how, how selfish this rich man in this parable was, and then he eventually told him that, David, you are the rich man. And of course, David, of course, turned his head and, and he saw what his blind spots had been missing, that, you know what, I am that man. So yes, initially he didn't see himself in that parable. So yes, he only saw the ugliness of the sin in that rich man's life to the point where he wanted justice to be rendered against this man. And and even today, you can tell who has blind spots. You can tell who has blind spots because they become extremely upset at someone else's sin, but it's the same sin that they're doing, but maybe in a different form. So maybe someone else committed the, the, the physical act of adultery, but, and they're harping on them about that, but then, and yes, it's sin, but then they don't see the sin of adultery in their own lives when they're committing adultery in their hearts, when they're lusting after another man or, or woman. Same sin, but in a different form. But you can tell when people have the blind spots because I could come up with, a judgment against you, but that same judgment is something I don't see that I deserve. Blind spots. David had it. Some of us had them or still have them. But when people do that, they, they judge others for their sin and they don't realize that they themselves need to repent. What happens is that they condemn themselves. But I would say that they need to turn their heads like I should have done when I was driving that car. They need to turn their heads and see what the Lord is showing to them, what sin is in their lives. Because if not, they're going to be headed for a spiritual wreck in their lives. See, when they condemn others but don't point out the sin in their own lives, the scriptures say this in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, old man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge uh, another, you condemn yourself. For you judge, for you who judge practice the same things. And so I like how it does that in, in the book of Romans. It starts off with this dark canvas 
to show everybody that you're all sinners. And then it gets brighter and brighter when you see what Jesus has done as you, as you begin, as, as the Lord began to paint this beautiful picture in Romans. And you begin to see what, not only what God has done, but, but who you are in Christ. But, but here, this starts with the dark picture early on in Romans. Romans chapter 1, it shows these people who are in blatant sin. They have these reprobate or these debased minds, these corrupt minds. But then you get to chapter 2. So you move from the people in chapter 1 with the blatant, the blatant sinner who's just out in the open with it. they loud and proud with it. But then you get to chapter 2 and now you get to the, a different type of sinner. Now this type of sinner may be kind of moral. Oh, I'm using my moral compass. And they're looking at the people in Romans chapter 1, the blatant sinner, and they're judging them. But, but it's pointing out here, you're, you're inexcusable. You're, you're judging them, but really you're condemning yourself. You're, you're judging them for their blatant sin. And yes, it's sin, but you're doing the same thing. Maybe you're sinning in your heart. Maybe you have hatred in your heart. Maybe you didn't commit the physical act of murder, but you have the hatred in your heart. So you condemn yourself when you judge another, Romans 2, 1. And this is what David did. He was condemning himself. But I just wonder today, has God recently revealed any blind spots in your life? Or has God used anyone to point out those blind spots? Have you even prayed to the Lord? Lord, help me to see any blind spots spiritually in my life. And I would tell you that that has been a blessing to me personally in my marriage. You know, you have a disagreement with your spouse. You're like, Lord, show them what their problem is. You know, but when I got to the point where like, Lord, show me if I'm doing something wrong. If I have any blind spots, reveal it to me. Oh, that, 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 that hurts to... You know, nobody wants to be wrong. But if it's going to help us to grow, ask the Lord to show you those blind spots. He may reveal it to you, may speak to your heart through the Holy Spirit, or he might send a brother and sister in Christ or sister in Christ to you to share what that blind spot is. But has God recently revealed them to you? And if he's used somebody in your life to point out any blind spots, and if they did it in humility and you knew it was from the Lord, thank God for those godly people. Because they were obedient enough and they were loving enough to come share what God wanted them to say. Oh, you don't see this, but the Lord wanted me to show you this. But like I said, some people unfortunately do it with the attitude of superiority or or to show people, see, this person is not so great. Some people do it with that type of attitude. But I'm talking about the real loving and godly people, the obedient people. They're they're showing you, they're pointing out these blind spots to you because they really want you to do better. And they don't want you to give an opportunity for the enemy to blaspheme our Lord. See, and God could use... He can use our close friends to reveal that to us. He can can even use our children to point out blind spots. And if you don't know, if you have a blind spot, ask your spouse. They'll tell you the truth. Just, 
spouse will tell you the truth. But it's, but it's for your betterment. And, and getting back to those stinking children who are so honest, oh, they will let you know. Mom, that, that wasn't fair, Mom, Dad. You let so-and-so do this, and, and, you, and then when you really think about it, you're like, well, you know what, that was kind of unfair. <laughs> Be quiet. Go to your room. <laughs> Don't you point out my blind spots. I remember, and my kids, they're adults now, so now they, you know, they tell me stuff. Yeah, Dad, I remember, you know, when we used to run late for football practice and used to get mad because we used to make you late. I remember, Dad, you used to drive fast and you, were, you didn't talk to anybody in the car. You know, you feel kind of embarrassed, but you kind of laugh at the same time because you're like, man, they noticed. <laughs> but thank God for that, right? Thank God for that. Look what it says in Proverbs, and we're, we're almost done. And in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 12, it says, Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. You know, the, those wise rebukers, those godly rebukers, they, they adorn us. They help us. Especially to the ear that is obedient. Are you willing to be obedient to the the person God uses to point out those blind spots. And, and I do want to share this, and, and, it, and it should be on the screen there, but I do want to share this about, about these blind spots when they're revealed to us. And what I want to share with you is that the manner in which we respond to our blind spots being revealed It demonstrates our maturity level and it demonstrates our ability to mature. I'm going to say that one more time. The manner in which you respond to your blind spots being revealed demonstrates your maturity level and your ability to mature. You see, if you don't respond to your blind spots with in humility and with an obedient ear, How are you going to grow and become more like Christ? But it also shows how immature you are. And there are some negative ways to respond. Of course, it's negative to to respond with pride. and, And it's a negative way to respond with a heart that is unwilling to evaluate self. We should be willing to evaluate whether or not we're doing something God's way. But there is, of course, a positive way to respond. And in your own time, what you want to do is read Psalm 51. Because in Psalm 51, this, this was written when, when Nathan the prophet went to David after David had gone into Bathsheba. And you get to see the proper way to respond. For example, in verse 1 of Psalm 51, he says, have mercy upon me, O God. So he's asking for mercy. What a good way to respond. He also goes on to ask God to wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Wash me, Lord, from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. So he acknowledges that there's some guilt and there's some sin. There's this ugly stain here that doesn't please God that he needs to be washed from. He understands that he needs some compassion, some mercy from God. He doesn't respond in pride. He even says in verse 7 of Psalm 51 to purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me 
again, acknowledging, I need to be cleansed. I'm not all the way where I should be or all the way where I could be. I haven't reached, if you will, my full potential in Christ for us Christians, but I I need you to cleanse me. And I just love this verse, and many of us have it memorized in verse 10. He, he responds like this to creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or loyal spirit within me. Oh, Lord, create in me. I need a new heart. I, I need a change in me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation in verse 12 of Psalm 51. He says in Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are of a broken heart and broken and a contrite heart. See, this is a heart that is sorry for sin. A contrite heart is a repentant heart. You see, according to the law, David should have been killed for for his adultery and murder. That was punishable by death. But as we see here, not only in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, but also in Psalm 51, David had a heart of confession. He had a heart of repentance. This is the positive way, the proper way to respond when blind spots in our lives are revealed. Once again, confession and repentance. And as a result, David experienced God's mercy because, like I said, he should have been killed. He should have been stoned to death. He should have faced the death penalty sentence according to the law of God. But God said, he's going to spare your life. I'm going to spare your life. You're not going to die because of this. Although he will face the consequences for the sin later on. But he experienced God's mercy because he responded with confession and repentance. But another positive way to respond when those blind spots are revealed, is to show that you have learned from that experience. In other words, like John the Baptist told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this, these religious leaders of the Jews, in other words, bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, he's, he's saying to demonstrate in your lifestyle that you truly repented. Show that you've learned from this. So don't just say it with your lips. Don't just say it. I shouldn't just say it with my lips, but, but demonstrate that, that I've truly repented. The worship team takes the stage. Going to ask you, just, just between you and the Lord, you go to the Lord and, and ask him to reveal any blind spots in your life. And I'll do the same. So listen, we're, we're in the last days and we don't, we don't have time to be proud about acknowledging blind spots. We, we don't have time to have broken fellowship with the Lord. We don't have time to, uh, to allow the enemies of the Lord because of our disobedience. We don't, we don't have time to allow the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme our Lord because he's coming back and we want to make sure that as many people will go with us in that rapture. And so, Father, I pray that as we bow our hearts, we bow our hearts in humility. We ask you, Lord, to reveal any blind spots to us. that we may confess them to you 
and repent as David did. And we see that in Psalm 51. In 2 Samuel chapter 12. We see why David is called a man after your own heart, Lord. Because he, when he came face to face with his sin, when those blind spots were revealed, he, in humility, asked for your mercy. He wasn't too proud to confess his sins. And, and Lord, your word says that judgment begins at the house of God. And Lord, we want to be on the same page with you. So forgive us, Lord. Equip us, Lord. Use us for your glory. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for those times you've knocked us off off of our high horse. And that's because, Lord, you want the best for us. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So thank you all for coming out. You know, some of you kind of thought I was joking when I said it's going to be another challenge. <laughs> or some of you didn't think I was joking because you've been coming long enough. But I just want you to know that the message is it's not for the hearers only, but also for the speaker. And so... You know, we're all on this walk together. You know, we have a job to do. So if you're able to stand, please do as we get ready to sing this last song to the Lord. And as we get ready to enter our mission field with the heart that's determined to live for him, to be used by him. Just want to share, as I always do, we love you. May God keep you. May God use you in a mighty way. And if you need prayer, please come up for prayer. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions would like to request prayer or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.